from Stonemeyer Games, and I'm happy to be here on March 8th. I had to look at the date there for a second. March 8th, 2023, for this week's live cast. I hope you're doing well. Um, today is a bit of a, a, a good day, a great day, because today is the anniversary, the birthday of Wingspan. We'll go with anniversary, because Elizabeth conceived a Wingspan uh, well before uh, the retail release date of the game. But yeah, in 2019, so it's been four years since Wingspan originally released. In 2019, Wingspan originally released, and that is uh, uh, March 8th, specifically, of 2019. So today is Wingspan Day. I'm happy to celebrate it. It's been uh, an honor and pleasure to work on it with Elizabeth and the artist Natalia and Anna and all the proofreaders and playtesters, the, the Automa team, the digital team. So many amazing people have put their time and talent into the game. And of course, all of you who have played Wingspan, uh, I, I'm so grateful that you've had uh, that you've played Wingspan, that you gave it a try, and hopefully it's brought some joy to your family, your friends, and your tabletop. Um, today, let's talk about the chocolate of the day real quick as I'm getting geared up here. Today's chocolate of the day is from Lake Champlain. This is a place that I mentioned a few times. It's one of my favorite chocolatiers in the U.S. at least. Um, they make really, really delicious, big, delicious truffles. And they always do a nice sale after key times of the year. So uh, after Valentine's Day, they had a really nice sale on some truffles. So I got some truffles for, for the household here. And I'm enjoying, or I will enjoy one of them today. Good morning, Tony, Chad, George, and John. What are you treating yourself to today? What's, what's your treat of the day? I know a lot of people joining in today might be wondering about the status of their tapestry expansion and or tapestry uh, custom insert order. And I have some news about that. Um, it looks like, as far as I can tell, that most Canadian champion orders have shipped and maybe even some non-champion orders in Canada. The Fulfillment Center in Canada has been ahead of the game. They've been doing a great job. In the U.S., uh, the Fulfillment Center, we are working with a new Fulfillment Center in the U.S. And uh, to my knowledge, they are a little behind. Um, and But they are hoping to get a number of the orders out this week. But I don't know if they've shipped really any or many so far, unfortunately. So we're going to put a little pressure on them today to uh, to do better. Um, but they are kind of learning the ropes right now. So I'm giving them a little bit of flexibility. Um, and then in Europe, they are starting the ship out today. Uh, so there was uh, apparently a miscommunication that we will work on internally and they will start the ship out today and hopefully get many of the champion orders out by the end of the week. And in Australia, uh, I'm waiting for an update. I don't know if anyone watching this is in Australia, you're probably asleep right now, but uh, this is Australia, Asia, and New Zealand. Um, some orders should have been shipped out already. Any orders containing just, or any orders not containing the custom insert, uh, but the custom insert was a little bit delayed getting to the fulfillment center at Aetherworks, and so they aren't able to ship any orders with the custom insert yet, but they should receive it hopefully by the end of this week, and we'll start to get those orders out that include the custom insert. But in the meantime, they should be working on the orders that don't include the custom insert, and I don't have verification of that yet. So thank you for your patience. Uh, we've kind of said that hopefully champion orders would be shipped this week and then non-champion orders next week, but overall, we've also said that shipping will happen throughout March, and so that's, uh, that's still certainly on track for this, this uh, product launch. Um, I'm gonna make a little note to myself to follow up with, uh, with the US, because the US, the U.S. really should uh, should start shipping it. Maybe I'll get an update while I am on uh, on this live cast. Um, yeah, so that's Tapestry. Let's see if you have any questions about this before I move on to a different topic. 
Uh, Nathan's popping in to say hi. Guillaume, do you have any dates for the French version of the latest Tapestry expansion? Guillaume, that's a great question. For dates or any information involving localized versions of our products, um, I never have any information about it. You'll, you really need to go directly to the localization partner. So in this case, go directly to Matico and see uh, what information they have um, to share with you. So yeah, ask Matico about that. George points out that today is indeed International Women's Day, which is another reason to celebrate uh, Wingspan today because Wingspan was created, uh, the, the designer is a woman, Elizabeth Hargrave, and, and the, the two artists, Natalia and Anna, are also women. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful day to celebrate that. A number of our games are, have uh, art and illustrations by some amazing women artists. And uh, we have a couple games in the future coming out um, with, uh, with more women designers. Uh, that our next, I don't want to spoil anything, but we have some games coming out with some amazing women designers in the future that I'm, that I'm really excited to share with you. Um, and I should share today, I don't know if anyone wants to post the link in the comments, but a few years ago I posted a video about my top 10 games designed by women. Um, if anyone wants to look up that video, I don't have it handy offhand, but that is a video that, uh, that I have on my YouTube channel from a while ago that is definitely worth sharing today, I think. Okay, Justin says, so Justin, what region are you in? Justin says, he's a champion and mine is in the mail to be delivered today. Justin, yeah, let me know what region you're in, Justin, so I can, uh, that would be helpful to know. Let's see, Tom says that he's gotten really into Red Rising because it's so quick to set up and play and therefore so perfect for a little bit of lunchtime gaming when I work from home. Any news on a more cards expansion? Currently, we still don't have anything in the works for Red Rising. We're kind of waiting for that book six to come out and see how it inspires us. Um, but I don't think that's all that far into the future. I don't have that, that date in mind offhand, but I believe it's a spring release date for book six. And I'm glad you're enjoying the game. You're right, it is. I do like games that are really fast and easy to set up. Corey says, only 10 days until the Meeples at Sea board game cruise. That's coming up fast. And I think there's another cruise happening right now that's uh, at, least, at least geek or nerd or gaming related. Maybe the Dice Tower cruise. Um, Jonathan's treating himself to some Girl Scout cookies today. Uh, seeing Jonathan's name reminds me that I do have a, uh, a Rolling Realms live play scheduled for later today, 3 o'clock today. So Rolling Realms at 3 o'clock Central Time, St. Louis time. And a layer of, of reminders to add on to that. Uh, remember that this week, at least in the U.S. or many places in the U.S., is the Spring Forward Daylight Saving. So this Saturday night, make sure to, to move to Spring Forward your clocks by one hour. We're going to lose an hour. There you go, George and Junie at the same time posted my top 10 favorite tabletop games designed by women. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, Justin clarified that in the Midwest, he's in the Midwest and he has uh, a delivery notification coming in today. So does, that's good news. That's good news. That means that the, our U.S. Fulfillment Center, who um, uh, yeah, Cortland points out that there's books and six and seven for Red Rising now. Yeah, not just a book six. But yeah, Justin verify that at least for him and hopefully some other place, people in the U.S. that their tapestry expansion orders are in the mail. Um, but I'm waiting for verification from the Fulfillment Center itself. I'm sorry, I should have gotten that update last night, but I didn't get it last night. I like to get those updates the day before I do this live cast so I can give you some good information there. Um, we will do a little better on that in the future. What else is going on today? Um, some games I played, actually some a, a fun game, game-like thing that I did this past weekend is that I, along with some friends, did the Hot Ones Challenge. Hot Ones is a, 
a, a show on a YouTube channel called First We Feast, where uh, uh, the host, Sean, interviews celebrities while eating increasingly hot hot wings. Um, it's a really interesting interview format, uh, puts people kind of in an uncomfortable position, and uh, but in ways that hopefully that they're opting into, they know what they're getting into when they do hot ones. And I have a friend who's been, who's done a few of these, he's hosted a few of these hot one challenge. And it's not really a challenge. We're just sitting around friends, sitting around eating, uh, eating hot sauce. Uh, for, for Megan and I, that means hot sauce on fake chicken and cauliflower, not exactly hot wings, but it's the same effect. And it was, it was quite an experience. I, I'm not one that eats spicy food. And some of those hot wings really, really burned, including one infamous one called the bomb, which is kind of infamous for being for both tasting bad and being really hot. There was definitely every, pretty much every other sauce tasted good, but was also hot. Um, Something I won't do again. Like it definitely did a number on my my GI system, but uh, but I'm I'm glad I did it once. It was it was kind of a bonding experience for to do with some friends. So I'm wondering if any of you have done anything like that, or if you have a high spice tolerance. If maybe maybe you'd enjoy that. It was, certainly was not. Other than maybe the first two, it was not an occasion of like enjoying the taste of things. It was more of uh, a situation of endurance and trying to get through it together uh, with all the hot sauces we were eating. Tom says his Rolling Realms box is starting to look very full. He has all promo realms. Is it cheeky to ask if there will be some non-promo realm expansions related to Rolling Realms in the future? Uh, so, Tom, it is cheeky to ask. Um, I, I'm not going to spoil the future, but I, I can say that we are taking that in, into consideration, given the, number, given the number of promo packs that we have in the works and the fact that the original box, while it does hold a lot, um, doesn't quite hold the number that we've printed. So we do have something in mind for the future. Um, yeah. Uh, Corlin says, do the Choco Challenge. They donate money for feeding America for each chocolate bar sold. You know, I'm not familiar with that, Corlin. Is that, that, is that an official thing? I, I would love to do a chocolate-related eating challenge. Send me a link or post a link in the comments below if, there, if that, is, uh, that is an official thing. Um, sounds like it is. I, I, I've never heard of it. But yeah, sign me up for a challenge where I get to eat chocolate for two hours instead of hot sauce that, that burns my throat. Steven says he ate the last dab Apollo hot sauce on random items. That is that is a... Uh, that's quite something to do there, Stephen. We we also did the Apollo as our last dab. By that point, our throats were so burned that um, it 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 didn't feel as hot as maybe some of the other ones that that led up to it. But but it was very very hot. And at least in terms of the Scoville rating, that was the hottest that we had. Corey says that he loves spicy foods. Whenever he goes to the local Indian food restaurant, he tells them he wants to. Oh, I can't read that out loud, to Corey. That is, uh, I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy spicy foods. Um, Sam, Sam's here. So Sam posted an interesting comment proposing that I do uh, kind of a, a, an interview with Sam or a conversation with Sam for my YouTube channel. And I'm taking Sam up on it. So in a few weeks, Sam and I are going to re record a conversation about game design. But he says, how many sauces did you manage to get through before having to break out the ice cream? So I kind of, I showed up with a root beer float. Um, I intended to be a milkshake. They didn't have milkshakes, so I got a root beer float. So from the very beginning, I was having a little sip of ice cream um, after after each bite. Uh, so I started from the very beginning doing that. Uh, other people waited until much later to, to start eating the ice cream, but it was really nice to have the ice cream handy during the Hot Ones Challenge. Uh, Luke says, he and his friends are in our 20s. Friends in their 20s used to see who could make the spiciest wings and play poker. 
That's a good challenge. Do that together. Here we go. Cortland shared the Choco Challenge. Oh, I see. It's 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 chocolate with um, razor pepper. Razor pepper inside the chocolate. Well, that's interesting. I don't know if I would enjoy the chocolate that way. And I love enjoying chocolate, but I'll look into that. That is that is interesting. And it's good that they are trying to do that for a good cause. That's pretty cool. Uh, Jason says, does playing a wide variety of games help with your creative process? I love that question, Jason. And I would say absolutely. That's actually one of my number one uh, tips that I that I think about for myself and that I give to other people if they're thinking about designing any game. Like, And really the tip that I give is don't just play the games that you kind of default to and that are very similar to the game that you are designing if you're working on a game design, but play a wide variety of games that are maybe outside of the games that you think you might enjoy. Um, I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to you here because I've learned so much about different types of fun and also different types of frustration, both sides of it, um, by playing a wide variety of games, including games that I wouldn't expect myself to enjoy. And I found some of my favorite games playing games that I, that I wouldn't expect myself to enjoy. So I, I, think, I think it is incredibly helpful for the creative process also. Like, I love medium weight Euro games. That's kind of my sweet spot as a designer and a sweet spot as a, as a gamer. But I've learned so much from playing games in other genres uh, than, than that medium weight Euro, Euro genre. Absolutely. Uh, Justin, another, is it another Justin? No, Jason just asked that. Justin says, have you seen the Kickstarter previews for Scholars of the South Tigris? I have. Yeah, I always love seeing what, um, what Garp Hill Games is doing. Uh, Shem and, and Sam and their team, they, they create some incredible games. I haven't backed that one in particular yet, but, but I love seeing what they create. Currently, I'm backing an, a game called An Aged Contrived which is actually designed by a previous uh, product manager, um, not at Summer Games, but at Panda Game Manufacturing. Uh, Chris Matthews was the original uh, product manager at, at Panda for Summer Games. Uh, we've worked with uh, a person named Shannon Lenz for around seven years now, but for a while it was Chris. And Chris has now moved on from Panda and designed this game in Age Contrived and started a company around this game. So I'm back in this game, and I also wrote an article about it on... on uh, last week on the topic of, of personalized games because they're doing something interesting with a few of the pledge levels where you can actually have it uh, have it personalized to uh, you can put your own message on the inside of the box I thought that was interesting and and compelling at least for some people I am I, backing that at a level that doesn't have that but I think that's an interesting concept the personalization another blog post I did this past week was a, about a little twist that we've done on an annual sale where I offered people, um, if you, I basically, I was encouraging people, encouraging people to actually get the game to the table that they decided to buy. And I said, if you get the game to the table within a month after receiving it and, um, and you find out that it isn't for you, it just isn't for you, try it. It isn't for you that if you give it to a good cause and I left that vague, whatever good cause they choose, could be a friend, could be a gaming library, could be a game store, um, could be a charity. I said, I would give them a $25 gift card to the Stonemaier game store. And so... I saw it, it was really neat to try this and see how people responded to it. And so far, really only one person asked for the $25 gift card, which is totally fine. And really the month has expired at this point. So it's, it's um, beyond the point of other people asking for it. But, uh, but it, was, it was neat to see, uh, to offer something new to people, a way for people to encourage people to get, to get the game to the table, but also to give them kind of an out if they don't end up enjoying the game. Because you never really know. You can watch reviews, you can learn about a game, but you never really know if it's for you until you actually play it. 
so yeah, I might do that in the future. Not, not on every sale, but on some sales in the future, we'll definitely give that a try. Looks like Chris is going to try reading Red Rising. I highly recommend that, uh, Chris. Uh, the, oh, no, he just finished reading Red Rising and is going to try the game. Yeah, I hope you enjoy the game after playing, after uh, reading the book, Chris. Uh, that, was, that was the order in which I did things as well. I read the books and then I designed the game and put, then played the game. Zach says, you showed a stack of Rolling Realms promos quite a few months ago now. About how many of those have been released so far? And would you say that the number of them that have been created since then is a similar number? Or has that process slowed down a bit until you have released more? So yeah, Zach, we have quite a few promos that we have not released. Um, we do plan on releasing three more at the end of March, kind of tied to April Fool's. Um, and then by the end of the year, I'm hoping to release kind of three more every maybe three months or two or three months or so. So we have a, a lot that, ha, that that have arrived at fulfillment centers that we are ready to sell. And I'm kind of just going to space them out a little bit, three at a time. I think the three at a time release schedule works pretty well. And so by the end of the year, I think we'll still have a few left by the end of the year. But um, we, have, we have quite a few right now that are waiting to be released. I know I'm not exactly answering your question here, but I don't, I don't even remember exa exactly how many we have in, in the holding and exactly how many were in that photo anyway. But let's see. Uh, George says, since today is Wingspan Day, I'm, I've reminded to ask you this question that I've had on my mind ever since the Wingspan, the nesting box came out. I'm wondering why you plan on naming the future expansion Latin America instead of South America. So actually, George, there has been a change to that. Um, I received a really insightful email from um, a professor who proposed that instead of using the term Latin America, we use the term Central and South America. And so that's what, what it will be called instead. I know there's a label in the nesting box that says Latin America, but in reality, it will be Central and South America because there are so many birds that we haven't covered from Central America. Um, even though it's technically in North America, but Central America is, is uh, very much its own ecosystem compared to Canada and the US. And so the expansion will be, when we do it, will be Central and South America. Um, and you're right, as you said, that uh, Latin America is not all-encompassing. Uh, all I was using that term incorrectly. I, I, that was a mistake that I made. I, was, uh, I thought that Latin America did comprise all of Central and South America, but that's not, not correct as I, as I now know. So I'm sorry for, for that incorrect assumption. Um, and I'm glad for the opportunity to clarify that and to uh, change, the, change the name of that expansion, not change the course of it. The, the, it, the areas we're covering are the same, um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, great point. Uh, Dan says that uh, today is also his anniversary. His husband and him have now been together for 10 years. Well, that's wonderful. And I'm glad it coincides with Wingspan. Happy anniversary, Dan. That's wonderful. Julie says that her library just got Red Rising and she's planning to play it in the next week. That's awesome, Julie. Also, congrats to Julie and everyone else who had um, art selected for the Wingspan Fan Art Challenge. I made the final selections yesterday. So it was, I'll describe the process really quick to you. So um, in leading up to the mid, middle of February, people could submit in one illustration of a bird found in Wingspan so far. And my hope was to include as many of those submissions as possible and really not judge it all that much based on merit, even though there were some incredibly beautiful illustrations submitted. Um, but I was really hoping to include as many as possible. We got around 300 submissions. And even though we had kind of a public Google Doc to avoid duplicates, there were a number of duplicates. There are a number of people who submitted for the same bird. 
And so I reached out to many of those people and I asked them if they would consider submitting another bird by March 6th. And so on March 6th, I went through all the updated submissions and, um, and found a number of opportunities where we could include a different bird, a new bird, and also therefore have me not have to decide between the duplicate submissions, um, two people submitting for the same bird. There were still some that I had to decide on though, and that made, uh, it was a very difficult process yesterday to go through and choose from, um, choose from, from multiple illustrations submitted for the same bird because people clearly put a lot of time and effort and talent into these. Uh, so I had to send an email to some people yesterday saying that their submissions were not selected, but fortunately I, I got to send a, a much bigger email to people saying that their selections were selected. And the good news is I think this has gone over pretty well and we'll see if people actually buy it. Uh, that, that'll be the next step, but um, it, it, we're looking to release it probably in late 2023, this pack of, of uh, fan illustrated bird cards. But if it goes over well, then I am hoping to do it again for the final three expansions. So like in around five years from now, after we have completed all continents for Wingspan, Central and South America, Antarctica and Africa in no particular order, um, then I hope to do another fan art challenge for those continents that we haven't already covered. And that way, hopefully we can include um, some of the artists that, that weren't selected this time and hopefully a whole new array of artists who, um, who wanna share their talents with the Wingspan community. So overall, a neat process, also a tough one in the end uh, for some of those duplicate entries. Okay, Brian has an interesting question. Uh, he got a UPS notification uh, from Miniature Market. So Miniature Market is our fulfillment center for this, uh, for the U.S. now. And he said, but he has no order with them. Yeah, you have no order with Miniature Market, but uh, UPS marked Stomeyer's Package Center as Miniature Market. Okay, so Brian, yeah, Miniature Market is the fulfillment center now. So they, we are kind of working with them on packaging and notifications to make it clear that it is a Stillmeyer Games order and not a Miniature Market order. I'll, I'll make a note of that to make sure that's happening in as clear a way as possible. Um, I have an email up over here about that. So, uh, yeah, I, thank you for letting me know that. But yeah, that is that is your order from Stillmeyer Games. Justin and Tom ask if we will include a divider, a new divider for the nesting box that says Central and South America instead of Latin America. Probably not. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily see that as necessary. I think it's clear what that's referring to, um, even though it is a different label. But um, maybe if there's room on the punch board, we might consider that. If there is a punch board in that expansion. Uh, but uh, probably not. I would say probably not. Like we try to do things that are, are necessary. And I don't know if that, that is in the category of being necessary. Um, but in future printings of the nesting box, including I believe the third printing was when we switched it over. Uh, we switched it over that label to Central and South America. Uh, looks like m multiple people have asked about that. I, I appreciate you wanting to have that terminology correct on there. But I also think it's clear what it's referring to. Um, uh, and I don't even know how much those those uh, dividers will actually even be used, but I'll consider it. If we have a punch board in that expansion, I will certainly consider putting a uh, a reprinted uh, a tile for Central and South America instead of Latin America. Um, it's it's such a like my hesitancy is partially that it, it is such a niche audience who has even the the label that says um, Latin America. It's only ten thousand people who have that compared to what will probably be 
hundreds of thousands of people who buy the expansion. So a lot of people will have a useless tile that doesn't do anything for them. So I have to take that into consideration, but I also hear what you're saying. I hear you. Let's see. Um, Casimir says, I often use your games and rule books at work as examples of excellent product design. Thank you, Casimir. I always feel like that's a work in progress and that we can do better, but, um, but I appreciate you saying that. Um, you seem to really value empathy for the user and always anticipate questions and edge cases ahead of time. I try. I definitely don't always succeed that, but that is certainly part of the process. Um, can you talk about how your professional experience before Stillmeyer informed your approach to game design? I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a big topic, but I can mention one thing. I, uh, there was a time where I wanted to open a restaurant. Um, in a somewhat misguided way, I didn't really know what went into opening a restaurant, but I decided, okay, this is interesting to me. I think this is an interesting field, and so I should probably work in a restaurant to, to see what, what that field is like. And so I served as a, a server, as a waiter in restaurants for a couple years during college, summers in college in particular. And I learned a lot about customer service during that time and how to anticipate customers' needs, how to not just serve what customers are asking me to do, uh, reactively, but also be proactive in, in looking out for what customers need and want and uh, what can bring them joy. And so, uh, and also clarity, bring, bring them clarity as that ties to rulebooks. So this came to mind as, as I was reading your comment, that was part of my um, professional education, a real life education, as I was uh, leading up to my career as, as uh, at Stonemaier Games. Uh, so I, I think that was a, a great way to figure out um, how uh, how to better serve people i also my other two jobs were as a project manager at a, a medical textbook publishing company and as the director of operations at an on-campus facility here in st louis so that was more about staff management a little bit about fundraising um and uh and the previous one was about project management which a lot of my job is about managing projects now that's a huge part of my job really Jason says he's coming to St. Louis to, in a few weeks to visit family and go to the Cardinals opening day. That's exciting. I want to visit some game stores while I'm there. Do you have any recommendations? My number one recommendation is to go to uh, Pieces Board Game Bar and Cafe, which actually isn't all that far from the stadium. I wouldn't say it's quite within walking distance to the stadium, but it, it might be. It's a long walk, but I highly recommend going there. And then there are some great game stores in St. Louis as well. There's um, there's uh, Fortuna Games. Fortuna Games. There is Wizard's Wagon. There, I'm going to uh, forget a few of them. And most notably, I would say in St. Louis is Miniature Market. Um, they, it's, uh, you know, they have a, a really actually nice storefront for a, a primarily online store. They have a very nice storefront in Manchester. But uh, Pieces, I would say, is the main target. That's, that's a, a really, really great place to go. Can't buy games there, I don't think. But uh, their food, their drinks are delicious. Their staff is amazing. And the number of games they have that you can play are, are really incredible. It's really incredible. Uh, Chad says, how are the Expeditions pre-orders proceeding? Did you receive around the amount of pre-orders that you were expecting? Um, we received more pre-orders than I was expecting, uh, and uh, which I think is ultimately, ultimately a good thing. I would say from customers, we received about the right, the number that we anticipated, but we received more orders because we did let distributors pre-order the Ironclad Edition which is not something that we typically do, but we decided, okay, we'll let them do it during this early pre-order period while we're still in early production. Um, and after that, distributors won't have access to the, uh, to the Ironclad edition. That'll just be something that we sell on our web store. But um, they ordered quite a few. And so we have quite a few Ironclad editions that we're making now for, uh, for distributors, not just for direct customers. 
Corey says he started reading the game or uh, the book Board Game Design Advice from the Best in the World by Gabe Barrett over at the Board Game Design Lab. Yeah, Gabe put together a great book. And uh, Corey says he was pleasantly surprised by my interview. Was the first chapter? Oh, I didn't. I didn't remember that my mine was the first chapter. He says any other books from other people that you've been involved with. Probably. I mean, I I don't know if I can remember offhand. I feel like I wrote a chapter in another book too, but I can't remember what that book was. So I don't know exactly, but I do remember um, that that nice chat that I had with uh, with Gabe for for uh, board game design advice. Yeah. Um, Julie says she was an alpha tester for the Calico digital game this past week, which is a fun experience. Um, I wondered how much input you have on the front end for digital versions of Stomire games. Do game programmers get a brief indicating certain things that you want included, or do they come up with everything on their own? For the most part, they're working independently. Uh, sometimes they have questions about how we want the interface to reflect the game versus not reflect the game, or questions about how much information they want to show to players. For example, in Wingspan. In Wingspan, uh, and I actually can't remember what Monster Couch ended up doing with this, but or maybe it's a toggle you turn on and off. But when you play Wingspan on the tabletop, you you don't keep track of your score on an ongoing basis. Like you can, it would be really arduous and uh, probably very annoying for players to do that, but you, you don't do that. You don't really know the score until the end of the game. But in digital games, the digital game can keep track for you on an ongoing basis. And so like Board Game Arena does this, especially if it, if it isn't hidden information. It I think it's nice for digital apps to show that information, but they ask us. They ask us if that's something that we want shown to players, and we say yes or no, or we say put a toggle on there to let players choose. Um, but for the most part, they work independently, and eventually, uh, and Tabletopia especially does this, eventually they have something to show us, and um, Joe is often the person who reviews that. Joe will play through it and see if he has any feedback to give to the, uh, to the digital uh, publisher, the digital developer. But yeah, usually that's that's Joe. That's not me doing that. Marlene is popping in uh, today. Marlene was one of the artists selected for the Wingspan Fan Art Challenge. Congratulations, Marlene. She says, how, uh, do you ever have goals for how fast you sell out of something? Really, my goal, my goal is to never sell out of anything. Like I would always love to have something in stock. I don't, I don't want to overstock something, but um, ideally, in an ideal world, and this is almost impossible, but ideally I would always have all products that people want in stock. And that means, often that means that we would have just enough stock for a product to last until the restock. So if we've, if we've made 10,000 copies of Wingspan, that those 10,000 copies would last three or four months until we can restock another uh, print run of Wingspan. So that's always my goal. I, I, never, I never want to sell out of anything. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned that, Marlene, because in Australia, Asia, and New Zealand, um, that region where we have uh, the Aetherworks Fulfillment Center in Australia, we did sell out of Tapestry and the custom insert faster than we anticipated. Um, the custom insert, we are entering a reprint right away, and that has a fairly short lead time. We should have that back in stock in places where it has sold out in about 45 days. But um, the good news is that Tapestry... The Tapestry Expansion, Fantasies and Futures, we still do have in stock, just not in Australia. We have it in stock in the U.S. And so we are sending copies from the U.S. to Australia, and they should take well, maybe two weeks to arrive. Maybe that's a little, little ambitious, but I'm hoping for around two weeks before they arrive. So that's kind of good news there. We don't actually have to enter a reprint to restock Australia in this case. Uh, we have plenty of copies in stock in the U.S. 
Uh, Trevor says, what's the best way to describe expeditions to a big scythe fan? He has a friend who's super excited and I want to do it justice in my explanation. I would say it is a sequel to Scythe in that it takes place, uh, Expeditions takes place after the events of Scythe, where the adventurers, the people, the characters that you got to know through Scythe um, are looking for a new adventure and they find that new adventure in this alternate world, alternate universe, Siberia. Tunguska specifically, where a meteorite has crashed. A few expeditions have gone out to explore what's happening with that meteorite because uh, some weird reports have come back. And uh, the characters, many of the characters that we know from Scythe and a few new characters have decided to go on independent expeditions uh, to that region to see what's happening. And along the way, they're trying to gain glory and wealth while they do so. And in, in terms of mechanisms, they are taking a mech and they're taking a card system that is similar to Concordia or Aquatica, uh, where you're playing, oftentimes on your turn, you are, you're either moving, gathering, or playing a card, usually two of those things. Um, to try to build your engine, um, improve your mech, improve your 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 card engine in the game, and work towards glory and uh, and fortune. That's maybe my short pitch. I, I would go with something like that. Start with the theme and then build towards the mechanisms. Um, and if you want, you can relate to you can relate those mechanisms back to Scythe in terms of engine building. And I, maybe it is worth pointing out because in Scythe there is combat. In Expeditions, there's no combat between players. Rather, you are fighting against the corruption that plagues this area of Tunguska where the meteorite crashed and awakened some ancient evil. Let's see, Julie points out for the Wingspan app, you can see your own score when you click on the end of round goals board. So it's not visible on the main board, but it's there. So you can know your own score, but not other players score. Thank you for that clarification, Julie. Uh, Jerry says, uh, Jesse says that he, he likes the, the uh, congratulations on the sold out content. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I don't, I really don't want to sell out of anything though. I, I really want to have it in stock for anyone who, who wants it. Uh, Jerry says, did you back the, uh, new castles of Burgundy by Awakened Realms? I did not because I think a friend backed it. Um, so no, I, I have not backed it myself. Ivan says another TV show based on the PC, a PC game is coming out soon. Fallout. Fallout is coming to the big screen. How would you feel if Scythe gets its own show someday? I would love for Scythe to get its own show. I'm really enjoying the show The Last of Us. I'm curious to see what they do with Fallout. And yes, yeah, Scythe, Jakob has put so much work into creating the world and creating the visuals for the 1920 plus universe that I hope he has the opportunity to, um, to not just license it, because I think he has actually licensed it to, to a production company, but that, that that production company actually does something with it and actually makes something. So I, I would love to see that, absolutely. Chad says he's finally getting Brass Birmingham to the table with some friends this week with the recent number one Board Game Geek news. So yeah, Bert Brass Birmingham has reached the rank of number one on Board Game Geek. Um, Chad says, have you considered playing it again? I really enjoyed what Gavin did with Brass. I don't know if it's entirely my style of economic game. I've enjoyed my plays of it, but it's not one that I get excited to play again. Uh, but uh, but I, I'm so excited for Gavin, and, and, and I'm glad that he... I know how much time and effort and passion that he put into that game. So I'm so happy that, that he has a game that's reached number one. That's, that's an incredible achievement. Kenny says that he's getting his Tapestry Rubber Playmat expansion and insert today all at once. Even though they're probably coming in separate packages. So Kenny, don't be surprised if you receive the, the playmat separately from those other things because the playmat is packed separately. But thank you for getting all that stuff. David says, what other board games would make good TV shows? Ah, ooh. I'll look over at my shelf over here. You know, Everdell. I would love to see an Everdell uh, TV show. That would be amazing. Uh, kind of 
Everdell always gives me those Redwall vibes. And I think Redwall has had a TV show that or movie that maybe didn't work out all that well. I haven't seen it, but uh, but I, yeah, I would love to see an Everdell show. Let's see if I have any fulfillment updates over here. Um, no, nothing, nothing yet. Uh, what else is going on? Um, did some actually? There was a question about rolling realms earlier. I did do some playtest this week for some some new realms that Corel has been working on, and some new realms are looking really really nice. Some games I played recently, Megan and I finished playing the game Box One, which you all recommended on, on one of these live streams. You recommended that I, I try the game Box One, and we played it over multiple days and finished it up late last night. We actually just finished. Also played the game 535, uh, the game Rome from Red Raven Games. Timonaku, played Timonaku actually twice in the last week. That's a new deduction game, really clever deduction game, kind of along the lines of Cryptid. If you enjoy Cryptid, I think you'll definitely enjoy Timonaku. Also played, uh, actually just today, today I will be playing uh, Outer Rim. Uh, so I, a couple of you have recommended that I, that I play the game Outer Rim, and I, I am finally going to have the chance to play it today, right after, right after I finish this, uh, this live stream, actually. Um, my video from this past week was about my top 10 favorite lighter games, not necessarily fillers or party games, but lighter games that play well, that scale well up to five players and beyond. So they work at lower player counts, but they also scale up really well to five plus players. Um, there were a lot of good games to pick from. That was a tough video to make. Casimir says that he would love to see the director of All Quiet on the Western Front do a scythe movie or TV series. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. David's, uh, no, David asked that question. Um, Leaf says the art with Wings Feather reminded me of Everdell. Wings Feather. And, okay, Chad's the one, Chad, Chad's the one being, uh, asking me to, to play Outer Rim. And Chad, yeah, I'm finally gonna, it's finally gonna happen today. I'm really excited uh, to, to give it a try. And I also recently ordered the new Star Wars deck building game. Some reviews of that made me really sold me on the game. There's a really neat, neat mechanism in this, this deck building game where you can actually kind of uh, fight against cards that are in the card row, like cards that neither player has gained yet. And I think that's a really, really cool mechanism to have in a game. Um, a nice twist on, on a dueling deck building format. Uh, actually, I had a really... Speaking of deck building games, I had a wonderful chat yesterday. One of my really highlight chats with someone uh, ever uh, was a conversation with Justin Gary, the designer of Shards of Infinity, the recent Soulforge Fusion, and Ascension uh, for his podcast, Think Like a Game Designer. So uh, Corey asked about earlier, earlier about any books that I've been involved with. And this is, uh, this is one of the longer podcast episodes that I filmed. Usually I, I limit podcasts to chats to around 30 minutes. But I was really excited to chat with Justin, and uh, I think I asked him just as many questions as he asked me because I really wanted to pick his brain too while I had the opportunity. So that chat should be go live later this month on the Think Like a Game Designer uh, podcast. But if you haven't heard of that and you are interested in game design, I highly recommend that that podcast from Justin Gary. He also does a board game course, but he the way that he thinks about game design is really really interesting in my opinion. Uh, Brian says that Outer Rim reminds him of the Firefly board game, but a little more streamlined. It's one of those games that I can go back to and jump in with only a really brief refresher. That's always really impressive. And, and Brian, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's one of the things that can hold me back from playing a game that I love if I feel like I'm going to have to relearn that whole game every time I play. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that Outer Rim isn't that type of game. That's a game that maybe is intuitive and streamlined enough that you can just jump in even after not playing it for a while. Marlene says that she just signed up to be a playtester for a game in development, not a Stillmeyer game. 
And I'm excited to learn more about the process and contribute to something that looks fun and interesting and is on a topic or theme that I already really enjoy about foraging. Do you ever need any playtesters for your games or do you have a fairly reliable group of people already? Um, Marlene, we're always looking for great, talented people, but we do have a pretty substantial lead playtester list at this point. Um, yeah, I, I kind of have a go-to list of around, uh, it's a few dozen playtesters that I go to on a regular basis. And then I have, if we go deep into playtesting for a game, like if we go into wave four or five or six, then I have a deeper list that I do tap into. Um, there are people who have signed up as Stonemaier ambassadors, but have also answered a quiz that I send out every couple of years, usually every two years. Um, that, that helps me determine if someone will be an effective playtester, at least for the playtesting style that I prefer. Um, but yeah, we have a great group. I appreciate you asking about that, but we have a great group so far. But stay, stay tuned to the, the Stonemaier Ambassador newsletter because every couple of years, and I think this is a year where I, I will send out the, the quiz. Um, I do send out that quiz to, to ambassadors to see if anyone could be a, a, the next amazing playtester for us. David says, do you have any games in your collection that you still haven't gotten around to playing yet? Yeah, David, I do have a shelf of opportunity. Let me see what's on it right now. It's actually it's slimmed it down quite a bit. Um, the two games on it that I really want to try are very opposite games. There's a game called Nomadic Gardeners that is designed by one of the designers of Tapestry, Chris Scafidi. Uh, Chris designed Nomadic Gardeners and published it. Tiny little game. And then on the opposite end of the, of the spectrum, I have Oathsworn. Giant big box game Oathsworn that I really want to get to the table. So those two are currently at the top of my shelf of opportunity. Uh, Chet says, I've noticed that a good amount of your recent favorite mechanisms videos feature smaller card-driven games. Is your group gravitating towards smaller games? Uh, they, they are. Yeah, I have some friends in my... my the bi-weekly group that I host who love card-driven games. And oftentimes they're shedding games or trick-taking games. They, uh, Pete in particular and Dave and Henry, they bring a lot of those games to the table. And I found that I really enjoy a lot of them. And it, it might even impact me as a designer, I think, in terms of whether or not I design a game in that genre. But um, but yeah, that, that's, that's why you see a lot of those games show up because oftentimes it's what people are bringing to the table and I'm happy to play anything once and, and learn from it. Actually, with that in mind, let me throw this out there to you all who are watching today. Um, what is a game? I want to do a game about top 10 played at once games. So top 10 games that you are really happy that you played at once. And for no reasons that we'll go into, really, or maybe I'll go into it in the video, you don't want to play it again. But you are really happy you played it that one time. And for me, for example, some examples of that are long, really long games. like Games like Game of Thrones, Twilight Imperium. Um, I'm really happy that I played those games once. But uh, it really, there is no but. I, I don't want the video, video to focus on the but or the negative. It's more that I played the games once. I'm really happy that I, that I played them. I don't see myself playing them again, but I am happy that I got them to the table one time. Can you think of any other games like that where you are really happy that you played it once? You had a great experience or a good experience or a memorable experience, um, but you're pretty sure that'll probably be the only play of that game. It doesn't have to be a long game. It could be a really short game. It could be a game that's maybe outside of the typical genre that you play, and that's why you don't think that you play it. Or a game that maybe you normally play two players, and this is a game that played for with 15 players, and so you don't think you'll play that again. Actually, that makes me think of like Two Rooms and a Boom. I'm glad I played Two Rooms and a Boom. I don't see it being a game that I play again, but I'm glad I played it that one time, that sort of thing. Um, and maybe the one qualifier for this is that it actually is a game that you've only played once, um, because otherwise it doesn't exactly fit the the uh, the question yeah let me know in the comments if anything comes to mind for that 
Casimir does, uh, Casimir is recommending that we play uh, Outer Rims plus the Unfinished Business expansion. We were considering that today, um, but I think for time, we are just going to play the core game, not the expansion. But my friend Dave, our coworker Dave and friend, um, he does have the expansion as well. Julie says, on the flip side, do any games constantly make it to your table because they are particular favorites? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some games that you can that you may have seen on my top 10 list or, or games on my table that show up more often. There's certainly games that I that I bring to the table more often in the hopes that they'll be played. They don't always actually end up getting played. But they're, they're games that, that do show up on my favorites list. Like, I often bring um, Dune Imperium. I'm gesturing, gesturing towards my, uh, my gaming shelf over here. But Dune Imperium, uh, Downforce, Arc Nova, I bring those to the table um, what are some other games that I often show up with? Uh, Bullet has been a game recently that I brought. I brought a lot in hopes that I could play it. Um, Clank. I often bring Clank to the table. Architects of the West Kingdom. Yeah, those are a few off the top of my head. Uh, Dice Miner. Dice Miner is another one that I show up with often in the hopes of play. Games that I'm just, I'm always happy to play those games. Yeah. Carol saying that she enjoyed uh, the design diaries for Chris's game, Nomadic Gardeners, and she's excited for my thoughts when I get to play it. Carol mentions Food Chain Magnet. Glad to try. Never want to play it again. Yeah, it could certainly fit into that category. Glad, glad that you played it. Glad that you experienced this thing that maybe people have talked about a lot, um, but it, you don't see yourself playing it again. Jerry says, this war of mine, given the emotionally heavy theme. Yeah, that's a great pick. Um, yeah, yeah, I need to write these down because these, these I could definitely see being my, my picks as well. Food Chain Magnet is definitely that for me. Um, although, yeah. This will be a tough video because, you know, I try to stay positive in my videos. And there is probably a negative side to all of these games. Like, if I, if I really love them that much, I probably would try to get them to the table again. But it, I think it's a, a unique category where it's, it's okay, I think, to play a game just once and have that experience of playing a game once without... Without uh, without bashing the game, I guess. Uh, so Jerry meant, and like this war of mine, Jerry's totally right. I I, I enjoyed my play. Well, I don't know if enjoyment is even the right play. I I am glad I played it, but it was an emotionally difficult game. Um, it's a very dark game. This war of mine, yeah. Dominic says Nemesis comes to mind because of the rules overhead and setup. I have played Nemesis a few times, so that wouldn't qualify for my list. But I can see that definitely for someone else, Dominic. Corey mentioned uh, Clinic. Um, Eric says, amazed. He says, I hosted the game doing his best Count Olaf with Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris is, is one of the designers of uh, the Box One game that I just finished, or that we just finished. Carol says, The Alchemist was interesting to play, but now we know we will probably play other deduction games that are shorter instead. Yeah, that I could see that going on my list. That's a really clever game to play. Yeah, this will be a, this will be an interesting list to make. Um, and Carol, I would recommend Tiwanaku if you get the chance. If you enjoy deduction games that are shorter and a little more streamlined than The Alchemist, and they don't use an app, all all that fits into the game Tiwanaku that I played a few times recently. David says Oath might fit into that category for some people. So we played Oath specifically twice. So we we really did not have a good experience with Oath, but we played it again because we were like, okay, Oath is kind of built so that you carry stuff over, you carry the story over to the next game. Hopefully, that'll, maybe that'll make game two really special. Um, and it did not. Like, it was actually, I would say, um, for for all of us, we we were rather regretting that we played it a second time. Um, I know some people have really, Oath has brought some people a lot of joy and a lot of storytelling. That was not the case for us. Um, but uh, but that's one that we, 
I can't include here because we definitely did play it twice in the hopes that second play would, uh, would all the great things that I heard about it would emerge in that second play. And they didn't, unfortunately. Uh, Chad has only played Sulkin once. He says, sorry, I know it's one of your favorite games, but it felt really slow to me. Um, I'm probably used to getting instant gratification with my actions. Yeah, and Sulkin, you don't get the, the benefits until you pull the workers back. Sulkin is definitely not a play-at-once game for me. Andrew says, any mystery or lockout game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that fitting into there. I probably mentioned, uh, like, escape room games. And most campaign games. Yeah. I probably won't go into that in the video because that's a whole separate category. But I can, I can definitely see that. Um, I'm going to mention games like Two Rooms and a Boom. Of course, he approaches it like trying a new food. It's okay not to enjoy it, but the experience of trying expands your knowledge. I think that's a great, um, a very nice way of saying that, Corey. Uh, Casper points out similar to like great uh, books and films. He says War and Peace comes to mind for him. Uh, yeah, sometimes, yeah, certainly throughout my education in particular, I read some books that, that I wasn't particularly excited to read, but I'm glad still that I read them. Um, Mark says he woke up in the middle of the night from the Philippines to join in today. Uh, and Mark can't share the specifics yet, but I can say that one of the, the fan realms that Mark created for Rolling Realms, we have selected to publish in the future. So congratulations, Mark. Thank you so much for all the, the time that you spent creating some really, really creative fan realms. And I'm glad that we can finally publish one, one of them. I won't say which one, and Mark can't say which one yet, but, but it'll probably come out sometime next year. That was a recent decision. Philippe says, is there a game that you particularly like, but within your game group, you were the only one to actually like it? The only one, hmm. There's certainly, I, I don't know entirely within my game group. Some games that come to mind that are like that, though, are uh, QE. QE is a game that I really enjoy, but certain people in our game group don't enjoy it um, or aren't even really really willing to try it. Uh, Libertalia was actually one for a long time. Libertalia was a game I loved, and some people in our game group loved it, but not enough uh, that it actually got to the table uh, after a while. So uh, I actually ended up giving away my, my original copy of Libertalia and I had to rebuy a copy when I realized that we were going to, or when I decided to, to make our own version of the game. And uh, Raw comes to mind as well. There are some people in our game group that really don't enjoy Raw, but now there unfortunately are enough people that really do enjoy it that I, I backed the, uh, the new edition and really look forward to getting that. I think that's coming pretty soon, actually, the new version of Raw. Uh, Marlene says, uh, one thing I've been thinking about lately is how, as someone a little new to the board gaming world, I found a lot of terminology confusing. Um, I remember being so confused for so long about FLGS and then there's polyomino and set collection and so on. Th th thoughts on the topic. I feel like it'd be a good opportunity for content creators. I've learned a few terms from your, my favorite game term games. Um, Marlene, I'm glad you mentioned this. Yeah, something that I try really hard to do and probably don't do as good of a job as I hope that I would is to use inclusive language. Um, and I think that goes in particular for acronyms. People throw around a lot of acronyms as if everyone knows those acronyms or as everyone has always has Google access and can, ac and can access those acronyms in any given moment. But, uh, but I totally hear you. I, I really try not to use acronyms um, without explaining what that acronym means, being, including people in that acronym. Um, I won't go into examples because it kind of brings back some, some, some sad moments, but it, like I, sometimes people can really shame you for not knowing an acronym that, um, that is not the way to include people. Like so, let people know what the acronym stands for. 
Um, but Mar Mar Marlene also mentions terms like polyomino and set collection that, that I probably use way too loosely, assuming that people know what they mean. And that assumption is not fair. That assumption is not inclusive. And I should do a better job of explaining what those terms mean. So Marlene, I appreciate that reminder. It's something that I should do more often in my videos in particular when I'm talking about a mechanism. Uh, or talk also, I'll talking about other games. Like oftentimes I reference other games as if other people know what those games are. That isn't always the case. And so, uh, yeah, this is a great reminder. I, I, reminders like this. Are, are good for me to remember uh, to use inclusive language when I'm talking about games in general. Yeah. Tyler's checking in from Colorado Springs here. Um, Julie says, perhaps a way to make things positive about one-time plays is to highlight something unique that you learned or experienced uh, both as a game designer and as a game player. I like that, Julie. Uh, something unique that I experienced. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. To highlight, uh, to highlight why I'm really glad I got the game to the table in the first place. So many games don't end up getting to my table at all. Um, I can't play every game. And so these games did. And, and I'm glad I played them. That's the whole point of the list. So yeah, I, I like that. Josh says, I saw that Stemeyer is going to have a booth at Geekway. Yes. My coworker, Dave, relatively new coworker, Dave, he is in charge of like conventions and, and events. So I, I think in the future, we will have more of, a, of an official event presence that we have had in the past. We're still going to work with Meeple Source, of course, at Gen Con. They do an amazing job. Um, but yeah, we're going to have a little table at Geekway where we're going to experiment with some things. Like the, the pr primary purpose of the table isn't really to sell stuff. We might have some stuff there for sale. But uh, we're going to try some, or Dave, I think, is going to try some fun things there to engage people, uh, encourage people to stop by the booth and not feel like they're being sold to, but rather just to have some fun for a few minutes while they stop by the booth. So yeah, we will have that at Geekway. Um, I will, I will be doing my regular Geekway thing, though, where I'm just going to be playing games with a bunch of different people. Let's see. Andrew mentions for uh, most variant or themed versions of games like Monopoly or Uno. Yeah. Eric says, I feel campaign or legacy games are hard to go back over once you have completed it. Uh, and Eric is starting to say that he hasn't done that with Charterstone. No need to apologize, Eric. I mean, I'm the same way. When I've played a campaign game, I've played so much of that game that oftentimes, even if I really, really enjoy the campaign, I'm a little tired about the game by the end of it. Um, that's why I, I really like shorter campaigns. I, I value, just talking to Justin Gary about it yesterday, um, the designer of Shards of Infinity, I really value the, sh the Shadow of Salvation expansion, which is a three-game campaign. How wonderful is that, to have a campaign that you can play from start to finish in three games? Um, I think that's wonderful. So... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, no, no shame at all in, in not playing a campaign or legacy game after you finish the campaign. Um, let me see if there's I have any other notes here. Oh, I wanted to mention our web developer, Dave. Uh, his birthday was this past Sunday, and I just wanted to celebrate Dave real quick because Dave has been a wonderful contributor to Stonemaier Games in um, making our web stores all they are now. Uh, and, and continuing to improve them and maintain them, making our website what it is today, making our e-newsletter more mobile-friendly. He's done so many things behind the scenes, behind the, uh, under the surface that, that you probably don't even realize that has made Stillmeyer uh, better in terms of how it serves you online, virtually. And uh, so I just wanted to celebrate Dave on uh, a few days after his birthday, but celebrate Dave today. Um, thank you, Dave, for, for everything that you've given to Stillmeyer Games. I really, really appreciate it. Eric does say that out of the five legacy games that he's played, only Charterstone was completed. Well, I'm honored by that, that you, that you actually finished Charterstone. Uh, it's a 12-game campaign, which even in my mind is maybe a little long. I prefer the eight-game campaign of the Rise of Fenris. 
I also like the five game campaign of um, uh, Shy Pluto, which is not one of our games. It's for uh, Space Base, the expansion of Space Base. And of course, the three game campaign for Shadow of Salvation for Shards of Infinity, also not a Stumar game. But I, I really like those shorter campaigns. Chet says, I actually wish Puerto Rico was a one-time play for me, oh, but my group kept wanting to play it. They were very familiar with the game, so I was crushed each time we played. Carol says, have you played any fun game deliveries lately? We just got Mall Peak, the sequel to Skull Hollow, and I'm excited to try it. Um, I mean, Box One was very recent, very recently delivered and played, as was Rome, and as was, uh, what was the other game I played recently that I just received? I'm blanking on it now. But those are the two that come to mind first. Box One and Rome. Yeah. Oh, um, 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 Blazon. Blazon? Blazon? The, uh, the game about making a family crest. That was a fairly recent game received and played. I talked about it on, on my YouTube channel the other day. Philippe says, with your version of Libertalia, do they now play the game? In general, my group, if we don't play that many games that I actually worked on or, or published. Um, but... Uh, the people, there are many people in my group who are happy to play Libertalia, which is great. Uh, I, have, I have a couple different game groups now, really kind of two and a half game groups. And there are a few people in one of the groups that typically love much longer, heavier games. And then I have another group that likes shorter, lighter games. Libertalia is kind of in the middle between the two, but um, but it's that second group that I think I, they, they get more excited about Libertalia than the other group. Bernard says, when will the Tapestry custom insert be back in stock? So it's not out of stock in every region, Bernard, but it sounds like it is out of stock in your region. Um, we are working with Folded Space to make more of them, to get a restock in the works, and it should be ready. It should be back in stock in about 45 days, is my estimate, which is much shorter than it usually takes to reprint something, thanks to uh, Folded Space's short lead times. Mark says he got to play the new recent new version of Raw recently, and he says, I must say that the iconography is great and relatively intuitive, quite fitting for a game based on Egyptians. Totally, yeah, that, that is definitely on theme. I'm glad to hear that. David says, are there any game mechanisms that you flat out dislike? Um, universally, I think that's pretty rare that there's a game mechanism that I entirely dislike. Uh, I've seen even like, like roll and move comes to mind, but I've seen roll and move implemented well in some cases. So universally, I don't think there's any game mechanism that I outright dislike. Because uh, I, I think with anyone, there's, there's probably an exception to it. I even have a video about my favorite exceptions to my, my gaming preferences. Let's see, I'm gonna scroll through real quick because I probably do need to wrap up today. Uh, yeah. Here's one question, last question from Nathan. His girlfriend and him are working through Charterstone and having a blast. I'm glad to hear that, Nathan. Uh, although we would feel that playing with more people would really add to the experience. Does anyone have any insight as to whether or not the recharge pack is worth it? Does the campaign lose its charm after having played it once? Nathan, I will say, as someone who designed Charterstone, um, I have played through the full campaign in the published version of the game twice. And there was a, a big gap between the two plays. But I can say, coming back to it fresh worked really well. Um, after not playing it for a while. So uh, it, I did know a few things, but the order in which things are opened and, and uh, the, the paths that I took were very different than the second time I played. And it was also kind of helpful to have me at the table as someone who had played before, and the designer, of course, but I could help out with rules um, a little bit more than other players. So I, I, I think it actually works pretty well to play through it again a second time. Okay, um, I better call for today because I do have to get to the Outer Rims game that I that I mentioned to you. But thank you so much for um, for 
tuning in today and asking questions and answering some of my questions. And I look forward to seeing you next Wednesday. I'll put this video up on YouTube in case you have any follow-up thoughts or questions. Take care and have a great Wednesday and a great week. I'll see you. Bye.